Welcome to Discourse, a podcast that explores multiple perspectives to think deeply and connect honestly with each other. I'm Anne Song. And I'm Sarika Narayan Singh. On the agenda today, Anne and I are completing an assignment called The Current Conversation Podcast Episode. Okay, so first off, you got some big news for me, right? Yeah. What happened? What's up? I got my G license. Oh my just god! Just this morning, and I'm absolutely ecstatic. Big, big, big congratulations! Mm-hmm. I don't even have my G one. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big deal. So where are you gonna take me? Um, I know you like to go to IKEA, Love so IKEA. so we'll do that on on our weekends. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was telling my students uh, as I was explaining this assignment about my G license, um, everybody laughed because I think most people already have their licenses. Is it is it licenses? Is that a word? Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, yeah, because you're talking about more than one person, <laughs> so they are licenses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anywho, um, so what did you tell them about this uh, this assignment? Like, what's some give us context here? Right. So this is an assignment that our students are working through, and um, it's it's what they're doing with their research team. So everybody is in their research team um, and they have the same research question. And as as part of their annotated bibliography, well, the first part of their annotated bibliography, they're looking at one source that might help them um, get some sort of feel for their research question, maybe provide some background knowledge, help them actually answer their question or direct them in a different way. Um, in any case, so they're looking for a source, and they've, uh, they're they doing their annotated bibliography part one just on this first source um, to get a hang of it. And then they'll receive feedback from me, and then they could finish the rest of the annotated bibliography. But this podcast assignment comes right in between annotated bibliography part one and two um, so that they can share sources with each other. And this is a nice way for us to pool and share what we've been doing and also gives their teammates an opportunity to read other sources that they may want to use in the future. Mm-hmm. So it's like a resource sharing opportunity. Yeah. And you know what? This is what the real world is like, right? Like mm-hmm. when we do research, we do it in a team. And part of that is that it's really supportive. And yeah. yeah. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. Okay. So Sarika and I, we have uh, put together a research question that we might want to respond to. And we have two resources uh, that we, we, we found um, that we're going to look at. So our research question is, so that the rest of the class knows, our research question is, how do conventional beauty standards impact people? And what are the most effective strategies to challenge and transform these standards? Mm-hmm. So this is our research question that we want to work on for the rest of the semester. And we're going to do a lot of research to figure out where we stand and what our position is uh, in response to this. Yeah, and and to add to your point as well about the research question, um, for folks, it's also in response to one of your argumentative research prompts, Mm -hmm. right? The number three, I think it's uh, the fashion industry often marginalizes bodies that do not fit into fashion's body ideals. So create an argumentative research essay that identifies a specific body that is misrepresented and or underrepresented by the fashion industry and discuss how the fashion industry marginalizes this group and offers specific solutions to encourage inclusivity and diversity. Mm-hmm. So that's like the larger mm-hmm. context. So that's our topic and we've narrowed it down. We've produced a specific question that would center our research moving forward. So we put together two sources 
And I brought forward a source called uh, Such Perfection, uh, published on June 1st, 2019, on a magazine called The Believer by philosopher and journalist Chloe Cooper Jones. Sarika, did you read it as I asked you to do? I did read it. Mm-hmm. I read the paper format that you gave me. Mm-hmm. I asked to actually really appreciate the context you just gave, the fact that she's a philosopher. That kind mm-hmm. of explains a lot. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, Good that explains a lot. And so I'm answering question number two here um, in the same way our students would. And I'm going to provide a brief summary of it. Mm-hmm. So in uh, Chloe Cooper-Jones um, piece, Such Perfection, Cooper Jones essentially is a very personal essay and she essentially contends with different theories on beauty. So she looks at how the Greek philosophers viewed beauty. She looks at how David Hume uh, defined beauty. And she also looks at contemporary philosopher Elaine Scarry and how she identifies um, and defines beauty. And so she contends with these different definitions of beauty and treading the line between objective and subjective definitions of beauty in order to make sense of herself. And she tells us and shares with her reader that she has a physical disability. And so for her, she moves through the world in a way that may be different from um, able-bodied people. And so she's trying to make sense of how do people perceive me? Am I considered beautiful? Um, And she's doing all of this while exploring the beautiful natural splendor uh, in Italy. And so she kind of weaves between theories of objective and subjective beauty and her personal life in order to um, somehow reconcile the different definitions of beauty with herself and how she experiences the world. Mm -hmm. So that was my piece that I brought forward. Cool. So I'll talk about Sam Urich's piece then. Um, It's titled, Why I Shared My Nude Photos on the Internet. And it was actually featured as part of the Wallace's special conversation about beauty in July of 2019. So for me, what I took away as the main message is that one way in which women can resist and subvert these oppressive beauty standards uh, in mainstream media in particular is by posting nude photos on digital platforms like Instagram. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, folks whose bodies may not be considered, you know, quote unquote, beautiful, um, or maybe their bodies are misrepresented or underrepresented, they can now start to disrupt and challenge and in many ways criticize what is considered the ideal body type uh, for women. And I think her main goal in this essay is to prove that posting nude photos, um, especially as a woman whose body may not be considered beautiful, is hugely empowering. Mm -hmm. And it's part of this feminist movement uh, towards body positivity, uh, Mm -hmm. radical self-acceptance, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that summary. So number three asks, describe your social location and how this might have influenced your understanding, your interpretation, and your engagement with the source. Mm -hmm. Um, And feel free to talk about both sources. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start off with Yurich. I was really sort of drawn to her essay. And I think in part that's because as, you know, as a woman, Mm -hmm. um, of course, I've had moments when I really sort of doubted myself or was really uncomfortable with my body. Um, And I really related to her her points about like trying to hide within clothing. And Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Um, But thinking about Cooper Jones, when I finished reading the essay, and I acknowledge that I'm, you know, I'm able-bodied mm-hmm. and I'm sure I have a lot of uh, privilege and access to certain things that perhaps other folks don't. Um, I think I found her essay and her tone a little bit helpless. 
Mm. And it rubbed, it didn't, didn't leave a great taste in my mouth. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I also would, thinking about my own social location, I was thinking a lot about my gender and uh, how I identify as a woman. And, and therefore, I really felt for and empathized with both authors. Um, I think both authors struggle with the question that a lot of us struggle with, which is asking ourselves, am I ugly? Am mm-hmm. I beautiful? Actually, I, and I, I really appreciated, I want to say, Mirch's honesty, where she just flat out tells us, like, this is what I ask myself. Am I ugly? You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, those are the same questions I think we can all relate to, that we always, we are constantly thinking about, even though we, or maybe we're not doing it consciously, but in the back of our mind, we may be thinking about. And I appreciated that and I empathize with that. I think with Cooper Jones, um, as an able-bodied woman um, and with able-bodied privileges, I obviously, uh, there were so many things I learned Mm-hmm. Um, that were brand new to me. And so I think what I appreciate about her essay is I really got to think about and reflect on my able-bodied privilege. Uh, be- and because I don't have what, in Cooper Jones, she uses this word herself, a marked difference, um, that the way I walk around the world may be different from the way she walks through the world. And, um, you know, she talks about all sorts of things about how people treat her um, with pity or sometimes treat her as a prop. Um, and and or don't don't see her sexuality and her femininity uh, because of her physical disability, and that really struck a chord with me. It just made me think about my privilege as an able-bodied person, and I found it very educative for that reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was open to her message, and I did mm-hmm. I did learn a lot about her experience of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just hoping for the same kind of... Conviction, right? Yeah, like Yurich just doesn't care. Yeah, there's a kind of... And we'll talk about that when you we know, talk like, about tone in the next yeah. uh, part. But there's a kind of unapologetic tone about her that's really cool. I, I, yeah, I wanted that like feminist rage to come out. <laughs> like I was angry for Cooper Jones. And yeah. I was like, at the end, I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. But I yeah. got it too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Do we want to go to number four? Mm-hmm. Do you want to read it out to us? Yeah, for sure. So number four is asking us to discuss and explain whether we're going to use these sources in our argumentative research essays. And we want to consider the following rhetorical strategies to evaluate the source's overall reliability. Mm-hmm. And also thinking about providing evidence from the sources. Mm-hmm. So here we can talk about tone. We could talk about level of bias. We could talk about logical reasoning or logos. We could talk about how the authors build credibility or ethos and how they use emotional appeals. So students have an option of uh, all kinds of different textual components they could talk about. You don't have to talk about all of them, mm-hmm. but a handful of them that, you know, uh, that stuck out to you so I'll start with um what um I was what what I appreciated about Cooper Jones and think about then whether or not I would use her in uh if I want to answer my research question so I did what we my students and I do we do this thing called the read organizer where we look at a quotation we break down different aspects of it in order to critically analyze so that's what I did when with Cooper Jones as well and I want to draw your attention to paragraph 47 and paragraph 53 that really um, stood out to me. Um, So I'll read it out to you. So both of them are her exploring Lake Como. And she says in paragraph 47, quote, 
I stand above, separated from it. For so long, I told myself not to travel, better to stay home than move closer to something beautiful that excluded me. End quote. And I'll read paragraph 53. Quote, the next morning, I walk along the edge of the lake. The, la- the beauty of Lake Como is so massive and all-consuming that it accosts me. I turn to a corner and cringe. I curse. The beauty of the lake is absolute, resounding. Birds sing, waves lap. The air smells of fir and jasmine. The sun shines, but it's not too hot. The wind blows, but it's not too cold. There is something restorative, palliative in the air. I can walk farther. The twinge in my hip that I felt worsening for so many months is gone. I can sleep more, eat less, drink less, hear better, and I can take off my glasses and see a great distance. End quote. Hmm. So I want to draw attention to the lake because it serves as a very important symbol throughout her entire essay. And in, in the way I interpreted this um, and with my students um, is that Lake Como is really this symbol of objective beauty for Chloe Cooper Jones. This beauty is undeniable and to a point where she even uses language that she says, like it, it costs her, it's like so aggressive, it's like in her face, mm-hmm. um, undeniable objective beauty. And in these scenes, it's kind of a, where she kind of creates this juxtaposition between herself, uh, she does not consider herself conventionally beautiful, next to this very beautiful lake. Um, And it's, the beauty of the lake is so profound that she says it even has a kind of healing effect for her corporeal pain that she experiences because of her disability. And so what I... What I appreciated about this essay was how central this lake um, is throughout the entire piece. And she opens with it, she ends with it, and she con- consistently comes back to it. So it kind of becomes this framework, a logical framework for the rest of her essay, where she's constantly trying, it's her struggling to try to understand and accept the possibility and the existence of beauty as an objective form via this lake. Um, and her trying to make sense of how she then does not, where, like she does not fit into it or does she fit into it? Like she's trying to work through that. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated this kind of organization. I know it doesn't, I know at first glance it might, it may seem a bit scattered, but I think there's a logical reasoning that she develops by consistently coming back to this lake. Um, and so kind of for, for me, I thought it, it formed a kind of framework where she's trying to work out her definition for objective beauty. And what's beautiful about it is at the end, she meets an Italian barista. I'm sure you saw that paragraph mm-hmm. who actually says to her, like, actually, it's, it's not as magnificent as you think it is. And she ends it like that, almost to suggest, OK, then ba- maybe beauty's not objective after all. Maybe mm. this lake that I thought was so beautiful is not as beautiful as I thought it was, and which kind of you know, a challenge her entire thesis up until this point. But I thought it was a beautiful way for her to um, work in and organize her entire essay as this kind of consistent undercurrent throughout throughout her piece while she's trying to come to terms with beauty. Hmm. That's really interesting mm-hmm. because... You didn't like it? No, I didn't actually. <laughs> I didn't. I thought it was... Um, she was comparing herself and, mm-hmm. and I think that's her downfall mm. to be honest. Um, and in the end, I thought that that's a really interesting interpretation. And actually I see where you're going yeah, with this. Yeah. 
Um, but what I took away with, from that was that she's just so easily influenced by other people's perceptions. You know what? I've had a number of students do the same thing. And it's thing. like, because she says, mm-hmm. and just like that, the lake I'd be held is gone. Mm-hmm. Like, why have you let someone take that beauty away from you? Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. She is. Um, and this is, after all, her trying to figure out her own opinion f- by almost providing us with a survey of multiple people's opinions, right? Mm-hmm. She has a Greek philosopher. She has Elaine Scarry. She has David Hume. She has the indifferent man that she brings in. She has her friend Jim, who she uh, briefly mentions, who tells her that his 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 perception of her has changed. Um, and she has the Italian barista at the end. So she's looking at how other people have interpreted it. And that's one of the, you're right, I, I do see your point. Um, a lot of students have mentioned that as well, is that there's no concrete thesis because mm-hmm. she's still working out. She's trying to decide. She hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah. And maybe that's my own sort of, mm-hmm. I'm projecting onto her and her essay, my own beliefs in beauty, right? I don't think that when you make a judgment about what is beautiful and what's not beautiful, that it can ever be objective. Mm. I think it's always a, a power move right there. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a judgment. Right, right, you know? right, right. So, yeah. Hmm. So how would you use this? So I don't know if I would. Okay. <laughs> so if I'm, ch- I, I think it was a really nice piece to get, a sense of how people think about beauty. And I think what she does is she moves us beyond thinking about just beauty in terms of beauty standards, but thinking about beauty in terms of the philosophy of aesthetics. Like she's Mm -hmm. making us think about it in a more academic way and also in a personal way, which I really appreciated. Um, And what I really liked about her was getting me to think about how, um, you know, these beauty standards, they're not just social constructions. These are social constructions that are very real consequences in people's lives. And so she's able to show us that through her life. Um, very personal, but she's able to at least show me that. Having said that, it gave me a nice understanding of beauty and it made me think about beauty. But I'm not at this point sure how I would work this into an, to my essay, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Yeah. And it might not show up. But at least it gives me some perspective. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And I think if anything, like just the way that you described her use of, of Lake Como, Lake mm-hmm. Como, right? Um, kind of like as a motif or a symbol. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that we could even incorporate in our own writing, mm-hmm. like finding um, like a metaphor, like an anchor to yeah, yeah to come back to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I was reading her essay, I was like, oh, how can I redeem this essay and like somehow kind of salvage it for my essay? Um, I thought it actually, for me, I could use it to discuss the negative impacts of beauty standards. Mm. And maybe for, maybe it's a bit judgmental on my end, but um, I think it's a good way for me to maybe think about how beauty standards are really um, penetrating her mind. Mm-hmm. They're like inescapable. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. It's like what the, you know, in her example, her, the man, the indifferent man says to her, right? Um, he says, we yes we are socialized but these are not things you could just unlearn mm-hmm. they're like so embedded and ingrained that they become objective truths yeah so that's what i wanted to actually call our attention to paragraphs 25 to 28 and it's mm-hmm. that conversation exactly where he does say um you know this is what i think is beautiful you're not going to change my mind and i think this is actually a very realistic conversation too i'm sure this mm-hmm. was a real conversation mm-hmm. but i think that might be a nice um hook or attention grabber yeah. So. So you might use that. I might use that. Cool. In yeah. the in the intro of your essay. Yeah. 
Amazing. Yeah, that's a that's a really nice way to. And I and I know a lot of people are probably thinking, well, how could this man say this? But oh my god, I do appreciate the I've heard variations of this. Yeah, it's honest. Yeah, like he is. You know, he's articulating probably perhaps even what Chloe Cooper Jones might have been unconsciously thinking about that there are these specific standards um, that you can't just shake it off. Well, she does say, I think later on, about halfway through the essay, she says something along the lines of, um, just because a theory leaves you out doesn't mean that the theory mm-hmm. is wrong. Mm-hmm. And for me, I paused. I was like, no, no, actually, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. But really? Yeah, I was like, how can you just give yourself into this theory? Hmm. And I, th- But I think, to be fair to and her... And that's my social location. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Like, to be fair to her, I think she was... I think she wanted to believe in the subjectivity of beauty. And I think most of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what she, I do appreciate her honesty when it comes to, yeah, maybe this comes from me wanting to fit in mm-hmm. and me not being able to fit in. So this is like, mm-hmm. she you knows she's like contorting her body. Yeah. She says, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots to think about. Lots to think about. Let's talk about Sam Urich. What did you like about her? Ooh, love that essay. My mm-hmm. goodness. Well, just because you can see the clear arc from, you know, this um, just self-loathing. Mm-hmm. And then... There is some sort of, like, at self-def... The very yeah, the yeah. And then she moves into empowerment. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of um, some people that I actually follow on Instagram who they do sort of you know, quote unquote, like culture jam Mm -hmm. in the sense of, Mm -hmm. you know, they Mm -hmm. they disrupt the mainstream image of a woman. Um, And they, it's glorious. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to use that as like a strategy, like one of the strategies that we can use. Like her tone, especially her tone. To disrupt uh, beauty standards is to actually jam digital technology, Mm -hmm. like jam Instagram Mm -hmm. with alternative messages, alternative images. And And she's very like, this is my strategy this is an act of resistance. And I'm quoting her. She calls it an act of resistance. Absolutely, yeah. And she says, I am disrupting the system when I do this. Like, that's very strong language. Like, this is someone who she's convinced and she's unapologetic. Like, she knows what she wants and mm-hmm. she knows what she's, her, what her intentions are very clear. Yeah. Right? And she also echoes other people too, right? Mm-hmm. So she echoes uh, Brianna Kale, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. also does the same thing and then was sponsored by Nick's. I think it's an underwear company yeah. based in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And also talks about um, a reliable secondary source, um, a lecturer at the U of Ottawa, mm-hmm. who also says that, yeah, actually what we're doing right now with digital technology and Instagram and um, resisting mainstream media is something that has been done historically. Right. Right. And so this is a, this is a long tradition of women using their bodies to challenge the norm mm-hmm. having said that mm-hmm. i actually thought there are some shortcomings to this piece speak your truth <laughs> so what i i do appreciate her tone and i appreciate her conviction yep. in what she is doing and i do i think her the professor's name was uh, pack home was that um the university of yeah, Ottawa? diane i think it's paco or pay Paycomb. yeah don't want to butcher it, but I think I already did it. <laughs> um, so I think I really appreciate that she incorporated a, a different perspective in that way. But there is some cherry picking here 
of evidence. Because I, when I was reading this, I was already thinking about two different articles that I know that mm. touch on the same topic that offer something different. So the two articles I was thinking about um, include uh, Shahida Bari's, and this is published in the Eon magazine called Female Nudity is Powerful but Not Necessarily Empowering. I was also thinking about Jill Filipovich's Cosmopolitan article, um, How Kim Kardashian Killed the Term Empowerment. And not that they're directly connected to exactly like Instagram um, and, and what she's calling her disruption. Like they don't, I mean, they briefly mention it, but they both of these sources do talk about how Kim Kardashian and West uses nude selfies um, as a form of um, like in, in the name of feminism and how that's actually more complicated than it seems like so what they talk about is how yes sure um we get it like nudity and empowerment but if you are someone like kim kardashian west who fits very conventional standards of beauty um you're doing it to appease the male gaze and most importantly you're doing it to make profit now of course you making profit and working the system for commercial success as far as a woman yes of course that's feminism Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. But when your nudity adds to the commodification and the hypersexualization of women, well, then to what extent is it really um, feminist? Right. So these these mm-hmm. two uh, articles that I just mentioned are they're trying to work through, especially Kim Kardashian West and her display of nudity through social media. And I was thinking about, you know, what would have been, I think, and I and I could be wrong, but I'm well, actually, I'm not sure because Sam Yurch doesn't really clarify this is what makes Sam Yurch's nudity different from Kim Kardashian West's uh, nudity? Well, I, yeah, I, I, like, I, I, I assume that it was because her body type didn't. Yeah, no, I the assume the same. I assume the same. But I think what I would have appreciated mm. is where she makes a very firm. And she, even if she briefly mentioned, like, I understand that nudity can be also used for commodification. And it does exist now. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe she could talk about that briefly and talk about. Because there's also a lot of people out there who do it in the name of body positivity. But it's like, mm. who's to say one's body positivity and one's not? Like, I don't know. Do you know what I, I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. So, like, I maybe a little bit more discussion on that is something I would have appreciated. Also, I think there's sh- there needed to be more of a discussion on um, how female nudity, yes, it can be subversive and disruptive, but also like it could lead to further objectification. And there are conversations about this because it is also used against women to commodify, to reduce, and to disempower. So, mm-hmm. I know maybe she didn't talk about it because she didn't want to, you know she wanted to make the focus to be about subversion. Um, but I do think she needed to touch on that a little bit in case her reader might have questioned, well, maybe you're being complicit to objectification too. Like who's to say, right? So maybe incorporating that perspective or touching on that or discussing that or at least acknowledging that would have um, helped her improve the credibility and ethos of her essay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad that you bring that up because I think when we think about feminism, it's not just about um, feelings of agency or free will. And it's not just about... um, you know, quote unquote, like subversion. Um, it's also about subverting very specific systems, right? Because oppression and marginalization is, is structural. So like, to what extent, and this is a good question we need to ask Sam Yurich, like, to what extent are those images on Instagram subverting colonialism? Mm-hmm. Um, subverting the patriarchy, yes, but also subverting capitalism, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, mm-hmm. if it is feeding into the commodification then that's probably not. 
like not that she has to fix the problem or like she can't but but, like to acknowledge it to acknowledge it exactly is what i would have appreciated yeah Mm -hmm. but i do you know her strategy though is something that we can think about it i think this aligns more closely to our research question because if we're thinking about what are the most effective strategies Mm -hmm. this is one strategy in which we can definitely think about assessing and it's also a good lesson for us to learn when we're writing our essay mm-hmm. that we do need to sort of take those things into consideration mm-hmm. logically for our essay to make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. So for you, Anne, how did you find that these sources, and I'm moving to number five, mm-hmm. do they deepen your understanding of the topic that's at the heart of our research question? Um, yeah, I think what it helped me to think about, and I briefly mentioned this before, is that you know, we think about beauty in these kinds of abstract ways. Um, but what it helped me, both of these articles helped me to see, um, so there are very real consequences um, in people's lives, uh, that there are social, political, cultural, and economic consequences of how beauty functions and how beauty is perceived. So it, they were both very enlightening for me because it got me thinking about how this plays out, um, how it privileges some and disempowers others, how for those who are left out need to do so much emotional labor to figure out where they stand. Um, and so those are all the, the, the consequences, right? And so I think both pieces are still very um, informative for me because I got to learn a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, um, it- I think when we first started developing the research question, I was approaching it a little bit maybe simplistically. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, yeah, of course, beauty standards are going to have a negative impact on a person's mental health. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty broad, vague, Mm -hmm. general Mm -hmm. statement to make. Um, But I think especially with Cooper Jones's essay, because of the storytelling that she offers and these vignettes, really, um, it gave me such a more like nuanced understanding of Mm -hmm. the impact that beauty standards actually have on a person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so in that sense, I actually, I might use Cooper Jones to mm. discuss the impact. Yeah. Um, so I think that leads us directly to number six. Now that we've read the sources, what is your current answer? I mean, I don't have a concrete answer yet. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I have a whole semester to do my research. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I think at this point, what I'm taking stock of is that, yes, okay, what I'm taking away is beauty standards can sort of fuel or motivate people to interrogate the meaning of beautiful mm-hmm. right so i think that's what yurich does in the beginning like am i ugly so the opposite is, is beautiful mm-hmm. and even um cooper jones's exploration of, of the definition of beauty subjective objective how do we reconcile the differences and i think for me at this point one of the most effective strategies we have to sort of to resist mm-hmm. uh the, this form of oppression is is by using the tools that are at hand, right? Like I think, and people have talked about this, like social media is so democratic in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's accessible, mm-hmm. right? And maybe Sam Urich is not like the ideal or perfect example, but I wonder, and maybe this is branching into number seven, mm-hmm. I wonder how other folks are also using digital tech to, to disrupt. To disrupt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, that's what I'm curious about finding out more about. I think for me with number seven, what I'm curious about is now that I kind of know through personal narratives how it impacts people's lives, I would love to find out the actual like stats 
mm-hmm. and the science behind this. Like, so when we say that it affects you, that these ideas affect us mentally, physically, emotionally, um, I would love to find now a more concrete academic article that has actually conducted research um, to somehow measure this impact mm-hmm. and incorporate statistics and, and facts in that way. Yeah. So that I think a balance of both would be really helpful for my essay. Yeah, I think for me, my first instinct is probably to go to like the American Psychological Association. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know we've done some research into microaggressions in the mm-hmm. past. And a lot of what these, like the conversations that Cooper Jones was having with that um, indifferent man, it's a very nice yeah. term for him. Um, I think it's a microaggression. Oh, absolutely. So that's what I, yeah, I think we yeah. should investigate a little bit more in that sense. Um, and even, even things like Nick's underwear, I remember seeing subway ads and there was a woman who had had a mastectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to see the impact that actually like changing advertising mm-hmm. is having on people's psyche. Mm-hmm. It may um, be cool to look at like, what are the fashion companies out there that are actually making... Well, think about Rihanna and Fenty, yeah, right? Like significant she, difference. Yeah. Even the fact that she offered so many different skin tones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that and one of the things that my students and I talked about was that sometimes brands just do it for the sake of doing it in the mm-hmm. name of diversity and when it becomes this kind of a tokenism. But there are definitely brands out there that are trying to make a difference, like genuinely, not just for profit. Yeah, um, and I mean, so I think it's tokenism if it's not the actual, like, if it's not for us, by us. Yeah. You know, then I think yeah. it's tokenism for sure. Yeah, just for, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what companies are out there. So those would be my primary sources, right? Mm-hmm. In looking for real, real world examples yeah. in that way. Cool. I think we're like on a really good start to our research. I'm super excited to see how this develops. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I can use it in my annotated bibliography, maybe. Yeah. Maybe for your essay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, Anne, thanks for uh, thinking deeply and connecting honestly with me. Thank you. Ciao. And also, congrats on your G. Thank you. Let's go to IKEA. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you.